Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, we plowed our way through 12 possible names at the number two spot in fantasy basketball. And what did we determine? Not a lot, but not nothing. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is, of course, a sports ethos presentation. Thank you, as always, friends, again, for making this just an unbelievable offseason. Offseason episode number 77. That's what we're doing today. And we have now blown past June on July the 26th. I know June is only 30 days. There's a little bit of an advantage here. But I think as far as actual weekdays go, because that's where everything happens, what what do we have? 5, 10, 15, 20, we had 22 weekday shows in June. 5, 10, 15, 20. I think it's only 21, actually, in July. So it would actually be a slightly lower number, making this even more delightful. So thank you all. We've already passed June. We've got a week left to go in July. I'm amazed. But what we're doing today... Is a little bit of a synopsis, which I know is like the podcast equivalent of a sitcom clip show. But I do want to get us to kind of a, not so much a consensus, because the Kevin Durant trade stuff is still very much in the works. LeBron, I believe his value is very much in the works, based a lot on whether the Lakers feel like they have a chance to compete. If they go into the season with LeBron, AD, and Russ, I don't think they feel like they're going to compete. So you're going to get a lot of missed ball games. I guess the other names we talked about are relatively settled, but those are two pretty big ones. But the point of this is, not so much, again, even to make the bucket, because you guys know at this point, the, the bucket system is Jokic up top, and then all of these names are kind of in the second one, but maybe we can split it a little bit. And we'll start into that soon. I promise you guys, we'll start into the ranking schemes relatively soon just not today what i want to do today is go back through the 12 names we've talked about and start to line them up a little bit and i want to go from the bottom up because if we start at the top and you're the first couple of names you might just stop listening but from the bottom up the names we've mentioned And I don't want to just read them off to you because then you only need to listen to three minutes of the podcast. And hell, you're here to just listen to someone yammer about basketball for uh, 25 minutes or whatever it is. At the bottom, no surprise to anyone, is Luka Doncic. This is 9-cat, by the way. This is Roto. And I don't know. It's hard to argue this one because Luka had a really good season last year and he was number 28. In 9-cat. And I know turnovers were the biggest issue, but percentages were also issues. And I don't know how you possibly see him fixing three things in one offseason when, you know, by all accounts, he's going to be even more tired than he was. Mavs added Christian Wood, that's true, but they lost Jalen Brunson, one of the other primary ball handlers on the team. Luka's going to have to do more, and we've already seen he gets worn down. Even if he takes a step forward, I don't see any way that he can be healthy enough and fantasy strong enough to overcome that. 
And I don't know that we need to spend a whole bunch of time on this one because, to me, this one feels fairly cut and dry. The only name on my list that I thought might drop down enough to get kind of nuzzling near the Luka Doncic, like, 20 to to 30 range, which is where he was, and, you know, maybe we get him up into that 20 range if he gets the field goal percent more reliably higher, is Trey Young, who... It's going to sound like I'm just permanently fading him, but obviously the fade last year was dead wrong. I just find it almost impossible to believe that he's going to be asked to do this level of stuff. And as we've talked about before, there really isn't anyone on this list that we've gone through, the 12 guys, who is more impacted by a drop-off in usage than Trey. He has the lowest rebounds of anyone we've talked about on this list. He is among the lowest defensive stats of any of these guys on the list. I think Luka's one of the other ones, but he's actually not even anywhere near Trey level. In fact, and in Trey's defense, his 1.1 combined defensive stats was, I believe, the lowest of anyone inside the top 30 last year. You have to go pretty far down the board to find someone else who is in that 1.1. And I think it's like Zach Levine at 45 or something silly like that. Jokic, 2.4. Durant, 1.8. Embiid, 2.6. LeBron, 2.4. This is per game, by the way. Kyrie, 2. Steph, 1.6. Cat, 2.1. Murray, 2.3. Giannis, 2.5. AD, 3.4. Trey Young, 1.1. Which, again, states how very good he was on the offensive side of the ball. But also, once again, highlights how critical it is that he is maximum usage Trey. Because almost everything he does is tied up in what happens when the basketball leaves his fingers. Does it go towards the bucket or does it go towards the guy who's going to throw it towards the bucket? You take any of that away, small slivers, and he drops like a boulder in the ocean. Because there's nothing buffering his drop. So of those guys, and that's, by the way, not to say that anybody else might not creep in in front of him. This, that's another reason I don't want you guys to just start putting these, take this podcast and turn it into your bucket show. This doesn't mean that of the 12 guys we talked about, that's not 2 through 13 on my board once we put this all together. That just means that of those guys, these two are down at the bottom. When you get above those two guys, you start to get into the hair a little bit. And I went with Cat at third from the bottom, mostly because of the Rudy Gobert thing. And this one could turn out to be a total misfire because maybe we find out that Cat does lose a couple of rebounds per game, but it's possible that his scoring holds, his assists hold, steals, blocks might hold, field goal, free throw percent might hold. I do think field goal percent goes down a tiny bit. I just feel like it has to because Gobert's just sort of in the way there. That's just, it's more bodies between Cat and the hoop. But maybe, maybe... Maybe he's anomalous there, and maybe he only loses rebounds. In which case, he could potentially stay inside the top 12 per game, and then we know he's durable. But he's a guy I would fade, because I do think there's just a great big whopping load of fear hanging over what might happen to a couple of his categories, a couple of his stronger ones. At least... Unlike with Trey, he's not adding a usage guy next to him. But unfortunately, much like Trey, he's adding someone who plays the same damn position he does. And if that one wasn't hard enough, my next 
list towards the bottom is LaMelo Ball, who, inarguable, one of the most exciting young basketball players in the NBA, and showed excellent durability last year, 75 out of 82 ball games. And, and I hate to point this out from a fantasy standpoint because it feels like we're badly missing the actual point of stuff going on, but it's looking more and more like the Hornets will not be with the services of Miles Bridges this coming season. We'll wait to see how it plays out, but I think it's pointing that way. Meaning LaMelo might get to do more. But is more always better? The answer is almost always yes. But he doesn't, LaMelo, doesn't rocket up the board with a little more usage the way that someone like a Trey Young would. Because for LaMelo, who, yes, scores 23 threes, 7.6 assists, that's good. His free throw and his field goal percent stuff, actually, the more he does with those two things combined, it actually lowers his value. His free throw was good this last year, but I don't see it getting any better. Field goal was bad. I don't know if it gets any better. Adding more to that stuff is a net negative. Now, adding more to those things, plus points, threes, and assists, that's a net positive. Steals, blocks, rebounds, all that stuff. We assume it stays the same. Turnovers maybe go up a little bit. So it's not the usage that's the if you issue for ball. Feeding him more is slightly helpful, but his growth is going to have to come from that field goal percent number. That's the big drag. Eliminate that drag, he can rocket boost up the board, and that's fine, and maybe he does that and proves me, I don't want to say proves me wrong because he's still in this top tier of guys. And talked about it on Friday if he's remotely durable, he's probably in the first round somewhere. But I believe he's back towards the mid to back end of it. Because remember, this last year, the reason he got to number eight by totals is because he played in over 90% of his team's games. And that's the way a few guys got up there. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I think this even gets harder as you go up the board a little further. My next name on the list is Giannis, who we just talked about on yesterday's show and someone that I like an awful lot. I just see no reason at all why the Bucks will play him more than 68 ball games this year. It just seems like it would have to be luck. Like Middleton and Drew Holiday would have to suffer catastrophic injuries, and the Bucks would have to say, Giannis, you know, Drew and, and Chris, they'll come back in March, but you got to carry us between December and March. Like both those guys need to miss four months for Giannis to go, all right, I'm just going <sighs> to 
deep breath play in every damn ball game for four straight months, and then I'll try to catch my breath before the playoffs, and then maybe you get him to like 73, 74 games. That feels like a bit of an outlier in terms of what might happen. I like Giannis. Put up a much better year than I expected, but by totals he was still number 11 in a good year because there's just no reason to play him more than league average number of games. The Bucks are too good as a team. They can walk into the upper half of the Eastern Conference playoffs. They probably would have walked into the finals this year if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt. I mean, it would have been a good battle with Boston, but they probably would have won it. I know, I know. This is not to take anything away from Boston. Don't, don't misinterpret that. Playoffs are all about which team stays slightly healthier. Boston was dinged up. They had their guys missing games here and there, but they didn't have any... They didn't have the number two player on their team miss a whole series or a whole playoffs. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. I don't care about how the playoffs would have gone. All I'm saying is Milwaukee is a regular season domination team, especially if Brooke Lopez is okay going into this year. They're just a, they're just a machine. So that keeps Giannis a little bit lower on my board. And frankly, maybe we should have had him behind LaMelo, who did show that nice durability last year. I just feel like there's a certain upside with the guy who's almost a full round better on a per-game basis. LaMelo played in eight more games than Giannis and basically ended up in a dead heat with him in overall value. If that's what it takes, I'd rather take the guy that has a little bit of upside built in. In front of Giannis, and this is where it gets really tough between, in my estimation, five guys. Those five guys are Halliburton, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, sorry, four guys, and who did I skip over? Oh, and Steph, that is five. Come on, Dan. Freaking count, dude. Tyrese Halliburton, LeBron James, James Harden. That's the whole Wheel of Fortune category. Jason Tatum and Steph Curry. If you took it from the value point of last year, LeBron would actually be at the bottom of that pile. Harden was right above him, and Steph was right above that. But Steph was right above that in rankings. In overall value, there was actually a little bit of a jump there. So Steph is not going to be at the bottom of this pile. James Harden, LeBron James, Tyrese Halliburton to me are the guys that are probably at the bottom of this pile because Tatum has shown incredible durability. He was number five this last year and has an opportunity to maybe get a tiny bit better, barring the Kevin Durant situation ending up in Boston. So I had to eliminate Steph and I had to eliminate Tatum from this, this group of three. So now it's down to Halliburton, LeBron, and Harden. On a per-game basis, LeBron boat-raced those other two dudes. LeBron was number four per game. Harden was 12. Halliburton was 23, although he's more like 16 in Indiana. So you could call it 4, 12, and 16. Harden has a chance to get better, largely in field goal percent, and frankly, in usage, because we saw this precipitous kind of fat Harden drop-off the last couple of years, that now it feels like he's looking to rehab his value, have fun with this team. It seems like he's finally where he wants to be, and you can see he's a moody basketball player. If he goes out there and has some fun with the 76ers, you could see field goal percent trending up a little bit. You could see even usage trending up a little bit. Maybe even turnovers come off just a hair. I mean, if you're going to forego taking 20 shots a game, which he won't, 
he won't take them, I should say. He will forego it. Let Embiid rack up the turnovers. Those two guys combined for seven and a half a ball game. And LeBron, a lot hanging in the balance there. If they make this the purported deal with Indiana, I think LeBron has a fantastic season. Because he ends up as almost the only ball handler on that Lakers team with just guys around him all of a sudden. AD would be Miles Turner, Buddy Heald. Lonnie Walker can space the floor a little bit. You'd have sort of growing, a couple of growing younger guys. They'll fill in the periphery with older goats and so forth. They got a couple of, Troy Brown Jr. was one of the guys they got early in free agency. They got some old goats not and some young goats and so on and so forth. Yeah, younger this year in, in free agency. Uh, LeBron probably wouldn't need to take 22 shots a ball game in such a case. And I think in that type of scenario, you'd see him play in more games because he would just be happier. And I got the feeling this year for LeBron, yeah, he pushed it as hard as he could down the stretch, but he got himself hurt trying to carry the team. So I would expect a per-game drop-off, but a sort of subsequent increase in totals value for LeBron as he plays in a few extra ball games versus a guy like Harden who was number 12 per game yeah he, he probably trends up just a little bit there and maybe he also plays in a few extra ball games maybe you get Harden up to around 68 69 and now you've got a real decision on your hands because if you go back to last year and you say all right well Halliburton let's have him playing a reasonable number of games at like a top say Trey Young level, like 11-12 range. Let's say he does take another small step forward, mostly in usage. Trey was number four this last year, remember? So that could have put Halliburton on top. The thing I would worry about, and it's not Russell Westbrook, because I think they'd buy him out if he ended up in Indiana. It's, what's the team doing in that spot? Because they ain't winning ball games. If they trade away Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, and it's Halliburton and just a host of dudes who have no idea what they're doing, that team's going into tank mode, and there's just no reason then to play Halliburton every ball game. And I know what you're saying, Dan. They played him in every ball game this time. Yeah, well, he was a fresh new toy. They wanted to see what he had. They wanted to give the fans something to cheer about at the end of a pretty disappointing season. Hey, look what we got for our established veteran. We got this dude. Check it out. There's no reason he'd need to play in 77 games again next year if they're in tank mode. So I don't think Halliburton plays in 94% of his team's games this coming season. You probably see that number taper off a little bit. Yes, it probably does stay higher than whatever LeBron or Harden can put up. But will it be by that much? Because this last year, we already mentioned, LeBron was 16th in totals and he missed 26 ball games. If you tack on another 11 and even get him to just league average, basically like what Giannis did this last year, LeBron would have been number four or number five. He would have been right there. And Trey likely falls off and Cat likely falls off. So LeBron probably would have been number three if you don't move anybody else around. Is he behind Tatum? Maybe. I don't know. So let's say Halliburton takes, I don't know, a small step back by totals value, or even we could leave him in the same place, just for argument's sake. Can LeBron or Harden catch him? LeBron, maybe. Harden, probably not. Because even if he takes a step forward in per-game stuff, 
and plays in three or four extra ball games, it's probably still not quite enough to keep up with those fresh legs. So in this grouping, I would have Harden, as we're working our way up from the bottom, remember, I would have Harden, and above him, Halliburton, and above him, LeBron. But again, subject to availability here, meaning subject to do we think LeBron is going to be available all season long, or is he going to be looking at this roster like, nope, I got a couple good seasons left in my legs, I ain't going to blow it on this one. Now you're in the top four. Jason Tatum, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant. And so I know that all the way back on last Monday, I mentioned that this was probably a year to fade Steph Curry, and I'm not backing away from that. I merely want to note that Steph, from a per-game perspective, of all the guys you look at this, this board... Other than the young guys, at least, you know, we know Halliburton could get better. We know LaMelo could get a bit better. There's some built-in improvement that could happen with some of these dudes. The one established veteran star on the board that could get better is Steph. And will he take 19 shots a game again next year? I don't know. Probably like that's not actually that insanely high of a number for him. He took 22 a game the previous season. Then he had those like kind of red shirty type of year in there. 19.4. I think that was the last one with KD, right? Wasn't that a KD year? So like 19 shots a game is not that crazy for him. He took only 17 a game the year that KD was healthy and Clay was healthy. And they were kind of splitting things up a little bit better that way. But here's the thing. If we really think Steph is going to dip down to 17 shots a game next year, surely the field goal percent will see a dramatic improvement. Because at 19 shots a game this season, he was still only at 25.5 points per game. You can go back to 2017, he was at 26.5 points per game on only those 17 shots. Now, admittedly, he was taking a few more free throws. They've adjusted some of the rules, so his number came down a little bit there. But overall, while I don't believe he plays a full complement of games, I think you're looking at more like the Giannis, you know, can we get this dude to 68 kind of story. From a per-game perspective, a Steph that becomes a positive in field goal percent instead of a pretty good-sized negative this last year vaults right past the guys in front of him, on a per-game basis. He just does. Then he becomes a positive in almost everything other than basically blocks. Because five and change rebounds per game out of your point guard is pretty good also. Now, we don't know for sure. Maybe he does stay lower. Maybe this is just what it's going to be as he, you know, probably throws in a little bit of cruise control during the regular season. But at the same time, you know, teams are going to be kind of gunning for Golden State. And I don't know that he necessarily isn't going to be better with a couple players around him that can help elevate, with Clay back to spread the floor, and Jordan Poole another year under his belt. Not that anything's really going to change with Andrew Wiggins, but, you know, Dre healthy coming into the year and all that good stuff. So with Steph, while I am afraid a bit of the game's played element, the thing that keeps him in this group is that per game... He has a jump he could still make. 
Kind of like we think maybe LeBron, does he take a tiny step backwards? Those two guys come a little bit closer together. Maybe their games played comes a little closer together. But then you've got Steph in the big field goal percent thing. That's that little thing that's hanging over all of this stuff. Does the field goal percent come rocketing back up to 47, 48, 49%? Because if so, now suddenly he's in the conversation for that 3-4 area per game. And that, to me, puts him in this almost top chunk. Along with, oddly enough, Jason Tatum, who, like a couple of these other guys, like Halliburton, like Ball, like Trey, like Cat, coming off a year where he played a whole bunch of ball games. But his team made the finals, so does he need to play in this many again in the regular season? Maybe not. But I don't think he's going to take a step all the way back to play in just a small assortment of games, barring a Kevin Durant to Boston trade, which obviously shakes up all the names we just mentioned here at the top of this list, or at least these two, maybe more. Kyrie probably comes back into the conversation, depending on who how that whole thing shakes out. Tatum shouldn't see a decrease in shots, might see an increase in steals, as we just talked about on yesterday's show, might see a slight increase in three-point percent, depending on whether we think this year was kind of an anomalous downtick. Does that come back up a little bit? Could he push himself into that kind of Trey Young territory from this last year where he's more like around the turn on a per-game basis, maintains the very positive durability part of the equation, and then also pushes up into that top three, four department, which, by the way, isn't all that far. He was number five by totals this last year, and probably no one's moving in front of him from the guys behind unless Steph bounces back in a big way. Unless Kevin Durant plays in a whole bunch of ball games this coming year. Tatum has a really good shot through health of making his way into that top three or four. Which, of course, leaves the last two. And we mentioned it on Tuesday's show last week. I said it right when we, when we rolled them out. I thought that these two guys had the best claim to the second spot in fantasy. And I know that they're not going to be the guys that go in the second spot in fantasy because there's a ton of injury risk about them. But here's the thing. I really only about two, maybe three guys that we rattled off have both some kind of per-game upside, and have a nice track record of health recently. Those guys being Tatum, who we just talked about, Tyrese Halliburton, who has some per-game upside. We don't know exactly how high he can go, but it does seem hard to picture him getting into that kind of like top nine per-game. I don't think LaMelo quite gets there. Cat, Trey, those guys probably don't hang on. Maybe Cat can hang in there in the, uh, the top 11, something like that. So he could maybe squeak in. Which, of course, then brings these guys that do have a little bit of injury risk into, into the, the picture. A lot of the highest per-game dudes have the same injury f- issues hanging over them. LeBron, injury risk. Big upside on the per-game ledger. Steph, letdown risk upside on the per-game part of this thing. I don't know if Harden has quite the the per-game upside these days, but then these two names, Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid, have 
enormous per game upside. Kevin Durant last year averaged 30 points a game, seven and a half boards, six and a half assists, a steal, a block, two three pointers, big time positive in both field goal and free throw percent. He is your prototypical nine cat guy. But he only played in 55 ball games. Still, the kind of amazing part about a guy like Cat is to play in only 55 games and still make the first round by totals, playing in just two-thirds of your team's basketball games. If you get Kevin Durant to the league average in games played this coming year, I believe he is the number two player in fantasy basketball. If... That, by the way, was around 67 and a half games this last year, which I'm hoping comes up a tiny bit as we kind of move maybe a little bit through the COVID stuff, but who knows? Maybe it does stay low. But if he only makes it to like 65 ball games, he's probably still inside the top four. And the only way that you look at Kevin Durant at the end of this year and think, ah, I didn't really get my money's worth at that number two pick is basically what we just saw this season where he misses 25 games or more. I mean, hell... You could have KD missing 20 games at his clip from last year, and he would still be inside the top nine. Give him seven more games at the clip he had last year. I think he would have been number eight. That's all it's going to take. About 60 to 62 games, he'll be inside the top eight. So then, I mean, this is sort of like our handicap of Chris Paul a few years ago. Now that we know that he still has that same fantasy game, It's hard to make a reasonable argument against him in that top group. Because, I mean, we saw it this last year. You know, Trey Young, 11 and super durable, got to number four. Cat, eight. Did I say it was eight for Cat this last season? Seven and super durable. He got to number three. Those guys couldn't get past Joel Embiid who wasn't as good per game this last year as Kevin Durant. He was behind him by not much, by like about 6% or so, but, you know, not nothing. And those guys couldn't get past him. So put Kevin Durant in that same Embiid classification, get him to 67, 68 ballgames, there's almost nobody that could pass him for that number two spot. Almost. Almost. And then by default, you just slot in Embiid behind him because he also has big-time injury risk. I might even argue Embiid has bigger injury risk because this last year, he finally played more ballgames for the first time ever. We've actually at least seen Kevin Durant like make it through a long stretch without a bunch of nagging injuries. With with Embiid, it's always something. KD was sort of one big thing, and then he came back and he was having a rip-roaring time again. So I'm slotting in Embiid just behind him I don't know, does Harden having a full year there, does that take a little bit of the burden off Joel? I doubt it. It's not like I think there's going to be a step back. I just think getting to 68 ballgames for Embiid was a huge accomplishment, and I'm not sure he does it again. 65, whatever, like, me and KD, you could almost flip a coin. I think I'd just rather go for the guy who's pretty much a positive. I guess Embiid, you could make a similar claim. He's almost a positive in everything also. These are nine-cat guys these days. Pretty awesome. You know who's another 9-cat guy who's going to reappear from the void and will probably get drafted too low? Kawhi Leonard. He'll probably play about 60 games this year, but we've seen him go mid-first on a per-game basis. 60 games at that puts him firmly in the early-mid-second round. I do. I wonder. I have no idea where he's going to go this year in drafts, but 
you know, what you do in the first round probably reflects a bit on what you could do in the second round. If you take someone like Tatum at four or five or six or whatever, and you got yourself sort of a durable early second turn kind of guy, then maybe you could take a shot on Kawhi and say, you know what, in my Roto League, I'll take your 60 Kawhi games and roll that up with my 75 Tatum games. All right, there's your recap, and there's your order right now, but a lot of things can happen. Honest to goodness, folks, I don't really know what we're going to do immediately after this one. I'm going to come up with some new features for this time of year. In any event, have a lovely Tuesday. Thank you all for listening, as always, to Fantasy NBA Today. I haven't asked you guys to drop a five-star review on the show in a while, but if there's anybody new out there, please do so on iTunes. Makes all the difference. And we'll get back at you tomorrow. Off-season episode 77 in the books. It's a good book. Read up. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.